Recently, the issue of violence against women has been a topic of conversation here in South Africa. It was thrust into the spotlight when 21-year-old University of Cape Town student by the name of Uyanini Mokhotwana was raped and murdered at the post office in the middle of the day. Around the same time, a female boxing champion that they called Baby Lee was shot to death by her boyfriend. These and other incidents spurred protests in Cape Town and Durban and other places around South Africa. People from all races and genders marched to say, enough is enough. There was a recent report done by Statistics SA called the Crime Against Women in South Africa Report. And it showed that the murder of women on the basis of gender is five times higher in South Africa than the global average. The problem of violence against women is epidemic in our country. But South Africa is not the only place where this is a serious problem. The hashtag MeToo movement that started in the USA grew internationally as women began to share secrets of abuse and pain that they had kept hidden for years, sometimes decades. So here's my question. How is it that in so-called Christian nations like America and South Africa, this is even a problem? Do our theological views actually add to the problem? Could our male-dominated patriarchal Christian system be in any way culpable? I think it might be. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. So am I blaming Christianity for violence against women? No, not at all. But there are plenty of times in history where, looking back, we see that our wrong view of theology aided in the oppression of certain people groups. It was true when the new settlers from Europe who came to America to escape religious persecution pretty much wiped out the Native American population off the face of the earth. It was true in the USA and England when slave ships full of African men and women sailed the Atlantic Ocean. It was true during the years of apartheid here in South Africa. You can't blame any of those atrocities solely on Christianity, but you certainly have to say that there was a theology, an understanding of God that at the very least condoned and legitimized the actions. I think that is exactly what is happening today when it comes to the way that women are treated in our society. Our Christian views make us culpable. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three episodes. Today we're going to ask the question, is God male or female? Then, in the next episode, we're going to look at the role of men and women in marriage and in the world. And in the last week, the role of women in Christianity, specifically within the context of the church. (music) 
So as we begin this journey, I want to start by talking about the very nature and character of God. My two-year-old granddaughter has a little song that she sings as her prayers at night. The beginning of the song goes like this, God our Father, God our Mother, we thank you. Now, some would consider that kind of prayer heretical. God, our mother? I must say that the first time I heard it, there was something that felt strange, that felt weird about that. But then I thought, why does that bother me so much? What is so bad about God, our mother, or referring to God as she? So one thing that is actually agreed upon in this debate is that God is actually neither male nor female. God is spirit and not limited by gender. But, and it's a very big but here, some would say that God has chosen to reveal himself as male Therefore, we should see God and only talk about God in that way. God is always He. God is always Father. One very prominent Christian pastor in the USA said, and I quote, God's intention for Christianity is that it has a masculine feel. When I first heard that, I thought it was a joke. So I checked it out. It's not. The bride of Christ should have a masculine feel. I would agree that Christianity has a predominantly masculine feel, but I don't think for a minute that that is God's intention. I think it's just the intention of the men in power. But this view of God in the church is clearly the view of most of evangelical Christianity, and it has been for a very long time. So go back to the beginning of the story. We read that God created male and female in his image. God didn't create man in his image and then create woman from man as some people seem to see it. Both men and women are created in the image of God. That means the image of God is both masculine and feminine. It's not predominantly masculine. And if the image of God is both masculine and feminine, how in the world can we say that God's intention is that Christianity be predominantly masculine? That's crazy. When you begin to have discussions with the people that agree with that argument, you get plenty of one-liners thrown at you. Like, God calls himself king and not queen. Or God calls himself father, not mother. Or the second person of the Trinity is the son of God and not the daughter of God. But I think it's important that we remind ourselves that all of these words like king and father are actually metaphors. They are not definitions. See, the only way we can talk about God or who God is, is with metaphors. God is like a king, helps us to understand a little of who God is, but it breaks down very quickly when you think about earthly kings. I mean, which king is God like? King David or King Saul? 
And even God as Father breaks down quickly if your father was distant or abusive. But there really is no other way to describe God than with metaphors. So we use a lot of them, a lot of metaphors, and the combination of all of that helps us to understand a little bit about who God is. But what is often forgotten in these arguments are the numerous metaphors where God has female characteristics. Let me give you just a few of these. Hosea chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. This is God speaking. He says, I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck, and I myself stooped to feed him. Clearly, these are roles of mother in society at the time. And so it's saying God is like a mother. Or how about Deuteronomy 32, 11? You see God is like the mother eagle. It says, like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. So he spreads his wing to take them up and he carried them on to his pinions. Or in Hosea 13, God is described as a mother bear protecting her cubs and as actually a lioness. In Deuteronomy 32, you see God both male and female. It says this, You neglected the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who has given you birth. God our father, God our mother, right there in one verse. Both Luke and Matthew record the words of Jesus as he weeps over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. There are plenty more passages like this in which we see God in terms of female attributes. So then the argument goes, well, what about the fact that when God came in the form of humanity, he came as a man? And what about the fact that Jesus chose all men to be his disciples? I think it's simply a matter of God being pragmatic, Jesus was born into an incredibly strong patriarchal culture, both in Judaism and in the Greco-Roman world. He would have had zero impact if he had come as a woman. He could not have been a teacher and a rabbi if he was a woman. And in order to have any respect in the Jewish community, a rabbi had to have at least 10 male Jewish disciples. That was the world that Jesus lived in. So it never would have worked any other way. But the group of people that were close to Jesus, just beyond the disciples, there were a number of women. And the way that he treated and included them was very countercultural in the day. begin to open ourselves to God as mother, 
opens us up to a whole new understanding of God and maybe even a whole new experience of God. I've heard a lot of great sermons on the Father heart of God. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon preached on the mother heart of God. But that's a good idea. I think I'm going to do that someday. But I know that when I do, I'll be met with plenty of resistance. So why are we afraid of this idea that God might not be solely male? Why are we so afraid of God, our mother? Why does it feel so weird to use the pronoun she for God? I can only think of two things. The first one would be that we actually see women as weak, and God can't be weak. I personally think that anyone that sees women as weak is living in some kind of la-la land. I watch my wife give birth to three boys, three very large boys, and my wife is tiny. It was one of the greatest displays of strength and courage that I have ever seen. That's why many of the images of God are that of giving birth, because it depicts him as incredibly strong and courageous and not weak. If we are afraid that God being seen as mother makes him weak, then we have a pretty low view of women. It actually makes God stronger, not weaker. When I see God as father and mother, I see the physical strength of a man and the strength of character and mind in a woman that a man just can't match. But if it's not that, if it's not that we have a low view of women, then I can only think that it's a power and control thing. And I actually think this is the main reason that Christianity doesn't want to let go of this idea of God being male and Christianity being masculine. Because if we let go of it, then we lose power and control and we men do not like that idea. Let me say this to the men. We don't have to be afraid of seeing God as mother. In fact, I think that when and as we do, it will open up God to us in ways that we have never imagined. And I can't speak for mothers, but it seems to me that if you can envision God as mother, like you are mother, you could relate to her much better, or at least in a more complete way. I'm not saying we should reject God as Father. I just think we should open ourselves up to both at the same time. I'd like to make a suggestion as an experiment. For those of you that pray, try praying to Mother God rather than Father God for a while, and just see what happens. It will be hard, I know, because old habits are hard to break, but just try. 
And when you meditate on God, picture her as mother speaking to you. What would she say? Might it sound different than what Father God might say? I know this is crazy, and it's hard because I've been trying to do it, and it's difficult. I started this podcast talking about the fact that I think that we Christians are somehow culpable in the attitudes towards women in our world. And I think it starts right here in how we see God. When we begin to see God as father and mother, as masculine and feminine, it opens us up to connect with God differently, and it opens us up to see the entire world differently. But this is just the beginning of the conversation. Next week, I want to look at the role of women and men in the world and in our families. The two big words that get thrown around in Christianity is complementarianism and egalitarianism. We will define those words and talk about the impact that they have had in our quote-unquote Christian nations. Spoiler alert, I think that much of what we have taught in Christianity concerning the roles of women and men in marriage and in the world has contributed to the place that we are today. So if you know people that might benefit from this discussion, please let them know. And if you have any thoughts or comments that I might add to this conversation, please write to me. You can do it on my website, skipcollins.com, or on most social media platforms. You'll find me there. I'm super keen to know what you think about this. So we're going to wrap this up for today. Like always, though, I so appreciate you listening and hopefully being challenged to think through some of these issues. So have a great week. Can't wait till next time. Shalom. Shalom.